Good day, listeners. Once again, we convene in the ether for our shared indulgence in all things commerce. I must say, it's been an absolute pleasure being your navigator in these waters. However, as the wise men say, all good things must come to an end, or rather take a different form. As such, I find myself preparing to pass the baton onto someone rather splendid in the world of commerce. But before that, let me make a rather tongue-in-cheek remark, as we English folk do love our gentle ribbing. Where on earth is Brent Peterson? I mean, does the chap ever find the time to record these intros for interviews? I swear he's as elusive as a unicorn in a field of rainbows. And now, on to the matter at hand. Allow me to introduce Veronica Costello, a veritable powerhouse, and the next voice that shall be serenading your auditory senses on this delightful podcast. Thank you, Jackie. I do hope I can continue to meet the high standards you've set here, and hopefully get Brent to show up once in a while. Ha! The best of luck with that, dear Veronica. Our elusive Brent is a bit of a tricky fish to reel in. I'll certainly do my best. To start off, we have an incredible guest. We're about to take a deep dive into the world of SEO with Sean Chardery, founder of Alchemy Leads. Oh, that sounds like a riveting start. Sean is indeed a master of his craft. Yes, he's been creating quite the stir in the SEO world. So, without further ado, let's get into our episode. Unveiling SEO Secrets, a deep dive with Alchemy Leads founder Sean Chardery. But first, a word from our sponsors. Great news for the Magenta community. Hoofa is now fully supported by Amnesty, the number one Magento extension provider. With a catalog of over 250 Magento products and solutions and a full range of custom development services, Amnesty actively invests in providing compatibility with the Hoofa theme. 33 solution compatibilities have already been released and are available as part of the regular product subscription with no extra charge. And many more new compatibilities are coming. In partnership with Hoofa, Amnesty is focused on providing its clients with high quality extensions, great performance, and a high level of service. Visit amnesty.com for more details. That's A-M-A-S-T-Y.com. And remember to tell them Talk Commerce sent you. Have you heard of the Hoofa theme for Magento? It is a powerful yet intuitive theme that has been designed to help Magento store owners create the perfect online store. With the Hoofa theme, you can create a store that is unique and engaging while taking advantage of the latest technology that will make your site blazing fast. The theme is built with a modern, responsive design that is optimized for maximum performance and usability. You can easily achieve Google Lighthouse scores of 10. It is also fully customizable, allowing you to adjust its look and feel to fit your brand. Overall, the Hoofa theme is the best choice for any Magento site. It is easy to set up and customize, and it provides powerful features to help you create a successful online store. Plus, it is designed to work seamlessly with your existing Magento store so you can take advantage of its powerful features and tools. With the Hoofa theme, you can create a beautiful, engaging, and successful Magento site. Go to hyva.io to learn more. That's hyva.io and tell them that Talk Commerce sent you. My name is Brent Peterson and I'm your host. 
please remember to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts. Welcome to this episode of Talk Commerce. Today I have Sean Chaudhry. He, uh, Sean, go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us your day-to-day role and maybe one of your passions in life. Definitely, definitely. So my name is Sean. I'm the founder of Alchemy Leads. We're a fast-growing SEO company um, based in Los Angeles. We help clients figure out their SEO and obviously scale revenue. Typically, our customers are B2B customers, and we've been in the space for a few years now and have seen some good results, and I'm excited to, to talk commerce. Awesome. Passions? Anything passion that you have? SEO. SEO. I'm a huge nerd when it comes to SEO. That's actually what really got me here is uh, being passionate about algorithms. When I discovered SEO back in the 2000s, I didn't even know there was so much going on behind the scenes of a Google search and uh, became obsessed with it, tried to look at every patent and learn anything I could and fast forward almost 15 years and now run an agency. Awesome. All right. So I know that you have agreed to uh, hear a joke, and I think I have a California-appropriate joke. I'm just going to tell you the joke. You should tell me if that joke should remain on the page 80 of your Google search results or if we should move this into the top eight position or even if somebody should pay for an ad for this joke. All right, so here we go. Scientists have been studying the effect of cannabis on seabirds. There's no turn left unstoned. I like it. I like it. I like it. I say that's that's maybe a second page joke. Yeah. I probably could have done a little better on the delivery too. Anyways, <laughs> I could always do better on the delivery. All right, so let's jump into SEO. I think SEO is even more important nowadays with all the privacy laws and Facebook or iOS 14 and all this other fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Tell us the, and also a comment that a lot of times people think SEO is smoke and mirrors, but there's some strategy behind it, right? Oh, for sure. There's a lot of strategy behind it. And if you look at uh, Google's own ranking factors, what they release, there could be up to thousands of factors that affect your visibility in search results. And I agree with the smoke and mirrors notion. I, the, the space is very saturated. So a lot of people have a, because SEO is so complex, a lot of people can have their own perspectives of SEO. Really, we try to simplify things. It's really easy to make SEO more complicated than it has to be, but we try to keep it simple. Really, SEO is your content on your site, whether that's videos, blogs, social media, any content that your users read, your technical nature of your website. So making sure the website loads quickly, doesn't have a whole bunch of broken pages or you know broken formatting. And then lastly, and probably the most important thing is your links. So content, tech, and links would be basically links from other websites that get a lot of traffic and have some authority. And it's a way of when you get a link from a high quality website, it's like they're giving you your website a recommendation or a thumbs up. And so the more of those, the better. And all three of those together, content, tech, and links, that's how you drive traction. Awesome. And I see, I saw, I do follow Google and I see that they've added another E to their EAT. Can you mm-hmm. talk about the acronym for how they... I know they're never going to expose their algorithm, but certainly they're looking at a certain amount of factors that you should be developing your content around. Definitely. I think it was their last update where they added that E. And EAT or EAT really goes to like the expert authority and the topic. So it's really about the author. If you're writing about something that's critical, like your money or your life, if you're writing about finance, you should have some experience in finance and should have some authority in the space in order to move up higher. And now the recent addition is more so looking at your where you've been published. So let's say you've 
let's say we're in marketing and you've done guest posts and written blogs on different websites, the new E in the, the EAT algorithm is really making sure that you have been published on site and that you can be um, seen as an expert in, in whatever topic that you speak of. EAT specifically impacts a few industries way more than others. I mentioned one, which is money, finance, your money or your life. Another big one is health. And you, with the joke, we talked about CBD and cannabis. And so with industries like that, you could be very heavily affected and need to show some experience, some authority in your profile, as well as different things like supplements, anything that could impact someone's health or their money. Those are the two biggest segments with EAT. Yeah. And so you also mentioned contact technology and links. So the first two are pretty easy to control. The links back to you is a little bit more work, but talk a little bit about the web core vitals. Yeah, definitely. With web core vitals, that would be like site speed and making sure that your site obviously is mobile friendly. That's a big thing. And making sure that your load times are pretty fast. Nowadays, we have short attention spans, thanks to social media. Really, anything over a second of load time is too slow. So you want to keep it under a second. Back in the day, it used to be under two seconds. Now it's half that, so under a second. And then you want your user experience to be as seamless as possible. So you want your menu buttons and things to be intuitive. You don't want people jumping back and forth, even if you have a fast-loading website. If it's clunky and hard to navigate, that's also not going to help your user experience. And getting to the links are the like the the really important part to, to develop more rankings and more traffic. And it's a, a tedious process. Usually you have to find good targets that you will get links from, and then you have to reach out to them in some way, whether email. Sometimes we've even DM'd blog publishers on Twitter or journalists on Twitter, that kind of thing. But it's very, it's just like prospecting for sales, except you're prospecting for links. Yeah, and I can say my previous job or my previous role was an, a digital agency, and we started publishing content every day. And pretty soon we started getting all kinds of people that wanted to do guest posts mm-hmm. on our site. And I can see how that the guest posting would, would imp- give them a link back to their site. Uh, Definitely. And I'm sorry that you probably received so much spam in your email, but that is an element of SEO that can be... It's very important to do it the right way, so you can do link building the wrong way. If you answer some of those guest post spam emails and get some spammier websites, that could actually be more detrimental than beneficial. And there are plenty of ways to do it. I think cold emailing for guest posts is one way, but it is very saturated. So sometimes you have to think outside the box. Like I said, we've done plenty of Twitter DMs and social media DMs. And in one case, we got a client a link by basically sending a free sample to the the publisher, which was like a, a magazine based in Los Angeles. So there are some tricks that you can do. You always have to give out some bait to get the link. Yeah, I, I recently had a debate on Twitter with somebody about updating your meta title and your meta description and he said oh that's so old that's 10 years ago and i said if you're on page two and nobody's clicking how do you entice them to click without changing your meta title or or description i agree i agree with that i think the person might have said that was old school because 
back in the, in the 2000s and the 2010s, it would have much more of an impact. If you just change titles and metas, that could be your whole SEO strategy. Now, I think it still has its role, just like you mentioned. If you're on the second page, not getting any clicks, changing your title tags and your meta description can be a way to improve your click-through rate. I think another reason that folks uh, nowadays are steering away from it is Google chooses whatever meta description they want a lot of times. But still, changing title tags are something that we'll do for a client. Let's say if we feel like we've hit a plateau, if the keyword, the page has gotten as high as it seems like it can get, then you need to do something drastic. And sometimes that title uh, tag change can be that that drastic thing. With clients who are on the first page and they, they want to move up, I, I actually wouldn't change the title tags if they're already close because it'll make you dance a little bit. It'll be volatile. In that case, if you're already on the first page and you wanted to move maybe to the top three, I would still focus on just building more links incrementally to that page. Yeah, and, and I think my my thing was if you have a lot of impressions, let's say you're on the first page, let's say you're in mm. the top eight, and you're having a ton of impressions but nobody's clicking. Oh, yes. you got to do something, right? Yeah, that's that's almost calling out for title tag optimization. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I also, I've been following Google quite a bit about the development of AI now, and they said that they're not penalizing people yet, but there will be penalties for AI-developed content on their site. And it's in their ethos that they say mm-hmm. that you cannot generate content with machines. Mm-hmm. Where, where do you feel that's going to be? So to me, there's so much gray area in the AI conversation. So I agree in theory that you shouldn't use machines to write content. Back in the day, people would do content spinning. So they'd create one piece of content and turn it into millions of different pieces of content that might just be gibberish. And I think the same thing can happen with AI proliferation where it's going to get saturated. There's going to be a big difference between high quality AI and low quality AI. The folks that are just getting content out to get content out will be lower quality. So I think there needs to be something done there. However, I will say that for finance and some certain industries like Benzinga is one that comes to mind. If you're looking at stocks and all kinds of things, there there have been AI articles in the past that are just generated by AI, usually around stocks because it just tells you, hey, the stock moved up this over this time and it's in this bull pattern or what have you. And so I think there's a place for AI and I don't necessarily think that it should always be penalized. I think the key to staying ahead is going to be the human element. So even if you get AI to write 10,000 articles or some number, there's still going to have to be some input from a human, not just editing words and things, but also making sure things are correct. And also you will need a human just to be able to put everything in perspective because sometimes AI can give answers that sound so complicated or so confident, but it's garbage. So there will have to be moderation in a sense. So I think moderation is going to get more important. But ultimately, I think if you write with AI and you have good editing team and good editing processes, you should be able to rank. I don't see why not. Yeah, I think maybe where people are getting caught up is that they're just generating complete posts without editing it. I I can say that uh, we've been editing content for quite a bit. And I asked for some posts from somebody. They they did it on Jasper. Mm. And... um, the, ed- the time it took to edit that was as long as it took me to generate a post on ChatGPT. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In fact, it might have taken longer because there's so yeah. much redundancy in some of those things. Um, there's other tools that like that drive certain amount of keywords into content. Mm-hmm. How do you feel that when people are, dri- are are optimizing content specifically for keywords, 
is it more important that those keywords are there and maybe a lengthy post that has a lot of words in it or is it more important for Google to see the content without all the keywords? So that's a great question. I think there's some nuance there. I think TF-IDF is a way that Google kind of understands which keywords should come up. For instance, if you're talking about pet medications, you're probably going to mention the word dog. You might mention an allergy medication. There are things that usually go together. So I think it's important to have the right keywords, but I say that with a grain of salt because I think it's more important to explain concepts just explaining everything that's related to the concept. So if we're talking about medication for dogs, keeping your dogs healthy, how to take care of a sick dog, anything that's related in the search, I think it's less about keywords and more about concepts and topics. And some in my industry would call this like topical authority. You want to have the best quality content around almost every aspect of your topic. And that also goes to eat. It shows that you're a leader in the topical niche that you're speaking in or writing in. Yeah, and I just about the about the authoritativeness. I think it's Mueller that I've been following mm-hmm. on from Google. He mentioned something around if you have only thirty posts, you're never going to be an authority in that subject. You have an idea of how much volume you have to put into something to become authority, and I would also imagine you have to be there for a certain amount of time. I agree. So I think volume. It's going to be hard to put a number, um, you know. But I have a few mottos. One of them is staying consistent stay consistent. So I think it's less about volume and more about frequency and over time. I think like anything, if you write one blog about a topic, you're definitely not going to be looked at as an authority. But if you write blogs about every niche thing that intertwines with that topic over time, let's say over a year, over two years and plus more, I think that's when it really starts to work out. In terms of putting a number on it, for some industries, it might be 50 pieces of content or 100 or 1,000. For some that are really technical, it might be 15. If you're talking about, if you're on the leading edge of AI and you're talking about a research paper, there might be 10 of those that'll be enough to really show that, wow, you're really technical and advanced in the space. But I think overall, I think the frequency of when you post and how long you're in the game, I, I think staying consistent over time will lead to compounding results. I'm going to ask a question because I've been experimenting with this myself. If you're looking to find new ways to get traffic to your site and you're experimenting by going completely off-grid of what you what your core competency is doing and you discover suddenly that you are ranking very high for that. I'll give it a great example because this is a talk commerce podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine, we did a podcast on, on different podcasts and he said, my only dream is to have a company that does cricket protein flour as a sponsor, which is a joke. We were just okay. him and I were just <laughs> yeah. kidding back and forth. So right. I wrote an article about cricket pr- protein flour, cricket protein in general, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I posted it on the site. Suddenly, Talk Commerce was getting some <coughs> good clicks on cricket protein. So I'm like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> Let me write some more articles about cricket protein. Mm-hmm. So right now, if you type companies using cricket flour. I'm, uh, at least I'm in my local browser yeah. here, I'm coming up number two. And so I've actually reached out to the people on there to see, hey, do you want to sponsor this? Because last week I got a 1,000 clicks wow. on just one post that have nothing to do with what I do. So I'm like, okay, this is a, this is a, I totally did it as an experiment to right. say, if you're in commerce, can you try something completely different to mm-hmm. try to get people to your site that has some actual value to the people who are reading it 
and maybe my goal is to get more people to listen to talk commerce, but right. maybe I could leverage this for some cricket flower people. I think it's really interesting. I, and I, I did the search. You are number two for me as well. Cricket flower is maybe develop a new product. <laughs> it's crazy. So anyways, I only bring that up because I think a lot of times, and, and just correct me on your core business is, is helping people with their SEO, is it, or is it also writing content? It's also, so we're, we take care of everything. We're not a consultancy that just tells folks what to do. We actually create content. We optimize. We can refresh old content. We actually build the links. And then a lot of cases when we deal with larger sites, there are times where we might need to do a migration or a really big web project. And we can do that too. So we try to handle everything from A to Z. Yeah, so migrations. Uh, in the past life, I was in the Magento space. If you can see my little logo back there, yeah. yeah. And I'm no longer in the. I sold our company a, a while, two years ago, anyways. But mm. that was such a big deal, especially if you say have a hundred thousand SKUs and somebody migrates. Like we're migrating from. If somebody goes from Volusion to Magento or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. We had mm-hmm. so many times where that were we called them rescue projects, right? Mm-hmm. Where somebody moved from one platform to the next. And the agency that was doing that migration did not take into account all those 301 redirects, or mm-hmm. they didn't even bother to do a 301, 301 redirect <laughs> on all those URLs. Yeah. And let's just say you went from, nowadays, it's all Magento to something else. <laughs> Ten years ago, it was something to Magento. Yeah. Is there, and I've heard more stories, too, about, hey, our traffic volume went down by 10 times. Is there a recovery in that? Because I've also heard that, hey, we're here, we can't do anything about it, all we've got to do is rebuild. If you put those 301s back in immediately, do you recover some of that? Yeah, so you hit the nail on the head there. I find that as well. Most migrations are usually done by developers, and developers aren't necessarily SEO first. They're usually developing first and SEO maybe second, maybe not even. So I've seen some horror stories as well. Even now, I think the most common uh, migration we do is WordPress to Shopify, and it's usually just because of an e-com store or maybe a certain thing with blogging, but there are definitely a lot of ways to do a migration completely wrong when it comes to SEO, where you lose all of your traffic and it does create sort of a horror story. And you mentioned it, really making sure that you have the proper 301 redirects in place, basically mapping out even pre-migration, mapping out what your URLs are going to look like after and making sure you have a a, a strategy in place to, even if you have 10,000 301 redirects to put in, that you have to put them in that pretty quickly. And then as well, funny things happen during a a migration. So you'll have broken links, broken videos, broken images sometimes. So knowing that beforehand and having a a strategy to combat that quickly is the most important. For one of our recent clients, we were able to migrate, I think it was 3,000 pages, did everything, including fixing the 301s and broken links, and were able to do that in 10 days. And so they've seen a significant traffic increase just in the past like 60 days since we've done this project. So that's the, the the best case scenario. But in a bad case scenario, if you don't look at your 301 redirects and you don't really have your URLs mapped out and they the URLs change dramatically, you can lose maybe more than half of your, your site traffic. Can it come back? Yes, definitely it can come back. You may have to rebuild. But having an SEO company or, or a company that has SEO in mind when they're doing a, a migration is... And, and fixing everything basically at the same time as the migration is the best way to avoid any volatility. One thing that 
it was very popular in the Magento space is you as a Magento agency and the client would then say, we're not an expert in SEO, we're going to hire somebody like you, right? Mm-hmm. And, and no knock on all SEO partners, and I appreciate mm-hmm. everything you do, uh, yeah. but they don't often know how Magento, and I'll keep picking on Magento because that's what I was in, but they don't often know how it's built, right? So they'll say something mm-hmm. like, make sure all your JavaScript loads last or whatever. There's a bunch of things that you can do and you can't do in Magento because of the way it was built originally. You could do it now, but let's just say five years ago, mm-hmm. you couldn't put all your JavaScript at the end. There, there's a bunch of things that you couldn't do. You couldn't mm-hmm. exclude some things because of just the way it was built. So for me, it was always frustrating to have a partner come in and say, you need to do all these things. And I'm like, we can't. It's impossible. And they're like, no, you do blah, blah. How, how do you deal with when you're working with a partner agency who has a lot of technical knowledge and that you want to get away from finger pointing with the client? Wow, that's a great, a great situation. So sometimes there can be too many chefs in the kitchen, cooks in the kitchen. That does happen with a lot of different agencies. I think communication is key. And then also having some level of boundaries where a developer might tell us something that's not necessarily SEO friendly. We have to be able to push back on it a little bit the same way that they should be able to push back a little bit when we say, hey, do this and you can't do this. For instance, I know Magento had some of those limitations and I think currently Shopify has some small limitations as well, whether it comes to like URL structure or where you have your images or some of the things you can do with your blog. And so making sure the client is aware of any limitations and then also the workaround. So if there are two ways to do something and they both have different um, effects, you definitely want to brief the client on the pros and the cons of every possible way. And then I think the best thing is just going to be open communication and not being scared to be direct and, and have those conversations without potentially hurting anyone's feelings. Yeah, and I'll just put in my own personal experience that the more you can work with your partner agency behind the scenes outside of the client and making sure that you are on the same page when you go to the client. And I think from my experience has been a lot of the, the they take some offense when you say, no, that can't be done or they're or they're putting it on you that hey, you did all this stuff wrong. And we're going to try to take them or whatever it is. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of mm-hmm. SEO agencies don't have the technical ex- expertise to maintain and build a Magento store. That's the bottom line. Yeah. And I'm going to say most agencies, and I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of big agencies that are going to be like, no, we do all that. Most Magento agencies don't do SEO. That's not in their realm. Their technical solution integrators, our SI is what we were called, mm-hmm. a solution integrator, mm-hmm. which means we typically do a lot of logistical back-end things. A lot mm-hmm. of them do UX and front-end work, but a lot mm-hmm. of them do back-end work. Anyways, um, tell us where you think SEO is going this year. Tell it before We have a few minutes left here. Tell us where you think we're going and, and what is uh, some kind of a nugget that somebody could grab a hold of. So where we're going, I think we foreshadowed it earlier in the conversation when we mentioned AI. There's definitely some sort of emerging thing that's coming with SEO and AI. AI is going to, I think, make things a lot easier for folks. It's going to make teams be able to do a lot more than they probably could have beforehand. I think it's going to be very cost-effective for businesses over time. And there will be some ramifications of AI. For instance, if people just start spinning websites with all chat GPT-4-generated content, I predict there will be some future algorithms and updates regarding AI. How good Google is going to be at reading AI is also a question mark. 
and you probably have seen this too, if you just edit a little bit of a chat GPT output and put it into an AI detection software, it usually will be 50-50 on if it detects that there was AI. So making AI look human and editing your content will be a big part of it. So it'll be interesting to see, but I definitely think there's going to be more updates coming down the pipe, specifically geared towards AI. I'll put in one comment because this came up yesterday. I wrote a post about I wrote a post on just shop shopware versus Shopify, and I used some AI to generate my some of my my technical bits. Right, mm-hmm. I still probably spent three to four hours making sure that post was correct, and then mm-hmm. I sent it to Shopware, and they told me all the things that were incorrect. And at the end, it, I probably had four hours into this. I then saw somebody else that wrote a post about this versus this, right? And I looked at mm-hmm. it and it was all contained in, let's just say on an eight and, a half, eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. Very short and concise. And I'm like, wow, this is a really big topic. When you say something like uh, in-depth guide to X, right? In-depth mm-hmm. guide to SEO. It, you're expecting an in-depth guide. And mm-hmm. I think it's almost worse to say this is an in-depth guide to SEO and then you just give this little quick thing that, say, ChatGP would spit out. It's not going to give you 4,000 words. I suppose it could, but you're going to have to spend some time to go back and say, hey, I'd, like to, I'd have to make this point a little larger and then read it because then once you start doing that... Anyways, there's also going to be, I feel, something that says, hey, this is a great topic, but you're not an authority because you've written, you know, whatever, 800 words on it. Yeah, I I, th- I think that's definitely going to happen, and it's just going to be a matter of Google having to weed out the authorities and the non-authorities. And to what degree they do that effectively will be the question. So if you're, let's say, not an authority and you put out some blogs, um, you'll just sit on the 80th page. That's the way you'll know. But there will there will definitely have to be a sort of a fine line in that in eat between what makes an authority and what makes just content for the sake of content. So there'll be a line in the sand as to what's low quality, what's high quality. But determining that will be the tricky part. I'm sure when Google has updates, there will be some times where they go overboard and maybe they punish people too harshly. And then, of course, there will be some times where maybe they don't do enough and you'll see AI low-quality content ranking on the first page. So it'll be a, a back and forth, but they'll have to fine-tune that, that line of what's quality and what's not. Yeah, and I suppose as the user, as you as an SEO expert, you would look at bounce rate. Like mm-hmm. if somebody is looking at it and they like, oh, no, this is not at all what I expected, boom. Or they're going mm-hmm. to talk commerce, they click on a cricket flower post, mm-hmm. and they're like, wait a second. <laughs> Why is yeah. commerce selling cricket flower? Anyways, uh, I digress. Sean, uh, as we close out our podcast, I give everybody an opportunity to do a shameless plug about anything. Oh, nice. What would you like to plug today? Uh, so I, I might as well plug my company, Alchemy Leads. We're a, an SEO firm, and we do great work for our clients. We're boutiques. We only have a set roster of clients month in and month out, so we have to kill it for them to continue working. Also, we don't have contracts, which is rare in the agency space. Most agencies use retainers. We don't have retainers, so we're blue-collar by nature, and we have to basically earn our fee every month. So there's some companies may set it and forget it. You work with them, and they may not call you back. We can't be that way because for us to continue getting paid, we have to keep delivering. 
and we're doing great things. I think we're, we're experimenting with AI. We've done some, we, we wrote our first AI press release like four years ago with ChatGPT2 and DaVinci. And it was pretty good. We had to edit it, but it was pretty good. I think we're a leader in the space and we definitely are one of those good companies and not one of those companies that emails you guest posts. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you so much, Sean. It's been a, <laughs> Thanks, I'll Dan. make sure we put all the con, all your contacts in our show notes. You'll get a link back to your site from us now, and maybe you could link to us as well. It's a, yeah. Or if you have a no cricket flower, you could. Yeah, I'm just joking again. So, yeah, thanks so much, Sean. It's been a very enjoyable conversation. Thank you, Brett. Thank you. Thank you for making it to the end of this episode of Talk Commerce. Please rate this episode wherever you download your podcasts. We are actively looking for people to participate in the free joke project. Go to talk-commerce.com and sign up for your free spot on the Free Joke Project. If you are a business, I will do a 30-second elevator pitch in the spot to help promote your business. That's talk-commerce.com.